0: What's up, guys? I am Ryan, and I am here with my friends Nick and Mark, and we are...
1: Bible Dingers.
0: So, today we have uh, just a legendary theologian on the show. We've been trying to get this theologian on the show for many years, but he's very busy. He's one of the most looked-up-to theologians probably in the world right now, and so we were just thrilled to have him agree to coming on to our show to do an interview. Today, we're interviewing Dr. Wayne Grudem about the topic of continuationism. So, continuationism is the belief that spiritual gifts, the miraculous spiritual gifts in particular, still continue on today, that people can still speak in tongues, people can still prophesy, and people can still heal. Uh, These are really what people are talking about when they're talking about miraculous spiritual gifts. The reason why we are having this interview come after the book of 1 Corinthians, as we mentioned in the episode, is that there's a lot of debate on 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 in particular, where it talks about the use of spiritual gifts. And so we decided to have Dr. Wayne Grudemont to talk about continuationism, sort of as a follow-up to clarify those portions of 1 Corinthians. Marky, can you tell us a little bit about Dr. Wayne Grudem?
2: Yeah. Wayne Grudem is Research Professor of Theology and Biblical Studies at Phoenix Seminary in Arizona. He is a graduate of Harvard with his bachelor's and Westminster Seminary, Philadelphia, getting his MDiv and Doctors of Divinity, and the University of Cambridge where he got his PhD. He has served as the president of the Evangelical Theological Society from 1999 as a member of the Translation Oversight Committee for the English Standard Version of the Bible, and was the general editor for the ESV Study Bible in 2008. That's huge. Yeah. He has written more than 20 books, including Systematic Theology, The Gift of Prophecy in the New Testament, and today, Business for the Glory of God, Politics According to the Bible, and with Barry Asmus, The Poverty of Nations, a Sustainable Solution. He also co-edited with John Piper Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womenhood.
0: Yeah, so uh, this episode and the next episode, we have two amazing guests, as we, as we keep saying over and over, and there's sort of a lot of uh, crossover here. It's it's interesting that they were both president of the Evangelical Theological Society at different mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. Dr. Tom Schreiner was the editor for the New Testament of the ESV Study Bible. Wayne Grudem was the general editor for the entire Bible for the ESV Study Bible, so they definitely worked in conjunction, even though they have these
3: completely opposite views when it comes to spiritual gifts. Mm-hmm. So, Which is a good point to make, too, regardless of the side of the fence that you're on. Yeah. We could definitely unite in Christ and be, you know, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of our view on this. Absolutely.
0: So with that being said, we hope that you guys enjoy this interview we had with the legendary Dr. Wayne Grudel.
1: Bible Dingers.
3: You study theology, and you haven't interacted with a Wayne Grudem book. I don't think you're studying You theology. haven't studied theology, <laughs> <right>?
0: <laughs> Dr. Grudem, first of all, I wanted to thank you so much for being on the show. You are a huge, huge presence on this show. I mean, you are the introductory theologian for almost everybody. And for this specific topic, uh, you have so much insights to this And so we really wanted to start off the conversation just asking you if you could give us just sort of a basic overview of continuationism and some of the basic supporting points for continuationism.
1: Well, I think of myself as a continuationist, and that means I think that the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit mentioned in the New Testament continue today. That is, the the major argument for that is that we're in the same period of history as the New Testament believers were. That is, we're not in the Old Testament age with the Mosaic Covenant. We're not in the age of the Gospels when Jesus was here on earth, although there's overlap. But we're in the age of the church, which began at Pentecost in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out in fullness on the New Testament believers. That period of time continues until Jesus returns in the Second Coming when he returns to earth to reign. And um, that means that when we read the New Testament about spiritual gifts of healing, prophecy, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, casting out of demons, that um, those verses we take to apply to ourselves as well and that we expect that God will work through prophecy to minister to his people through healing to bring emotional, uh, mental, physical healing to people when we pray and uh, tongues and interpretation to uh, be an additional spiritual gift for our prayer life. Um, And that these things will actively function in the church. The argument in favor of that is that's that's the way the New Testament reads. You you, You lock someone in a closet with a Bible and he or she will not come out saying these gifts aren't for today. uh, It's not the new way the New Testament reads.
3: I'm actually glad that you mentioned tongues and prophecy, because it offers a perfect segue into the second question, which is, what should it look like to properly use miraculous gifts in the Church, specifically, you know, gifts of tongues or prophecy?
1: Well, I've seen a number of examples. The easiest um, answer is that it shouldn't start on Sunday morning because Sunday morning when the whole church assembles, there are expectations of time for children in the nursery to be cared for. And people have plans that they've made for after church. And the larger the church is, the less, and uh, the more difficult it is to um, allow for spontaneous contributions from different people in the church you expect to have some worship leader leading worship, you expect to have somebody teaching the Bible, but you don't expect to have 15 different people contributing um, Bible teaching on Sunday morning. The the time constraints and the habits that we have just don't permit that very well. But in home fellowship groups, in small groups, in people's houses, um, there can be an allowance made for um, different people to contribute well, if it's studying a Bible passage, different people can contribute their observations on the passage. But if you're in a prayer or worship time, then I think what I've seen happen a number of times is there are periods of silence when then someone will say, um, I think the Lord is showing us XYZ or ABC or whatever the person might say. and uh, Or someone might say, I have a mental picture of a uh, a spring of water or a tree growing by a river or something like that. And it might have application to someone in the group. I I remember one instance where we were praying with some other Christians in a small group and someone said, um, I got this picture of a person with fire coming out of his mouth. And someone else in the group said, that was me. I've been gossiping. <laughs> and <laughs> And someone else said, "Yes, that matches this pa- passage in James two that says the tongue is like a fire." And um, then the first person who had the p- picture, mental picture, she said, "The other person was me." <laughs> wow! And so, uh, and there was some correction, it, and it just happened over the course of two or three minutes. But um, the Lord used it to bring to mind uh, a gentle rebuke for some speech patterns that were not helpful Mm. and that people needed to repent of. I've seen that happen a number of times. Um, My wife and I were praying for uh, a couple that had come to our house and asked for prayer for a woman with a sore back and that she had had back trouble for, for, fairly serious for a number of years and it couldn't be cured medically that she she knew. So we started to pray and ask the Lord to heal her back. Um, And then we waited quietly and my wife, Margaret, said, I keep getting, I keep sensing this sadness here. And at that, the woman began weeping and, and with tears, talked about the fact that they had a one-year-old daughter who had died several years ago at age one and the sorrow was still deep and painful. We spent the next 45 minutes praying through different parts of that grief and asking the Lord to bring healing to her sadness. I saw the couple, a couple of few days later, they were, they were seminary students where I was teaching. And I said, Sally, I, I don't remember her name, but I'll call her Sally. Uh, how's your back? And she says, "No different. There's no change. It's still sore." But if the only reason we came to seminary was for that time of prayer, it was worth it hmm. because there was deep healing that came to her heart, her mind, and her heart um, through the Lord ministering to her, and that was the Lord bringing to mind a need that we didn't know existed. And that can happen so often.
3: So how how about tongues, though? When when is that used appropriately?
1: Well, I'm going to rely. Uh, Nick, more on the teaching of the New Testament than on my own experience because I have some experience of speaking in tongues and hearing others speak in tongues, but it's limited And the churches that I've been in haven't used it very frequently. I did have one instance where uh, there were a number of other seminary faculty members and wives, uh, maybe six or eight of us gathered together and praying together and one person spoke in tongues. Three other people in the group had the same Bible passage from the Psalms come to mind. When the person was speaking in tongues, and it seemed to me that was the Lord giving an interpretation of what He wanted us to focus on at that moment. <clears throat> but my experience is somewhat limited in that. Uh, Paul says, um, "If any speaking in tongues, there be two or at the most three, and let one interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silence in the church and speak to himself and to God." Mm-hmm. So, um, if in a small group someone prays in tongues or speaks in tongues which is speaking in syllables that you don't understand the meaning of. Um, then the person in charge of the group should should I think say, well, let's wait on the Lord for the interpretation. And, and then someone would have a sense of this is what the prayer meant and give a summary of it. And if no one interprets, then the moderator of the group should say, well, we won't have any more speaking in tongues until there seems to be someone present who can interpret. Um, so I've been in groups where that happens and it's functioned with benefit, spiritual benefit to people's lives. Um, but it seems to be uh, the apostle Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Um, so it isn't that he thought it was useless. He said he speaks in a tongue, builds up himself. Um, but unless there's interpretation, nobody else knows what's being said. And so the other person isn't being built up. Nick, I'm not sure that that addresses what you were asking.
3: No, it does. Thank you. Thank you for your answer. I appreciate it.
1: I I, I suspect uh, we're not, Margaret and I are not in a church situation now where people would accept speaking in tongues, or I don't think they would. But I suspect that if a massive revival comes to our country, that there will be a lot more speaking in tongues that will happen spontaneously and the Lord will give that gift. I don't think everybody has that gift. Hmm. The does not uh, do all speak in tongues, and the implied answer in that series of questions in 1 Corinthians 12 is, no, not all have that gift, but some do. Awesome. I think it probably opens up a spiritual realm of experience to us in many cases.
2: Yeah, uh, this is Mark speaking, Dr. Grudem. Hello, Mark. Hey, but this, I think this goes along with that. Um, Are you familiar with Bethel Church?
1: I am not really. I know about it from a distance, but I don't know any details about it.
2: Okay, well, I think most people would describe it as like hyper-charismatic yeah. Okay. Um, and so, a question we have are are churches like this that are very charismatic. Um, are we missing something if we're not consistently pursuing experiences like they are, where they're constantly looking, um, you know, to speak in tongues and for, uh, like, I don't know, the whole crowd to be in this um,
3: kind of like a hyper spiritual state? I guess yeah. in the. Yeah. Constantly service. looking for a prophetic word, constantly looking to speak in tongues. Or Are we missing out on something by not pursuing those experiences?
1: There are really two questions there. One is, what do I think of Bethel Church? And I have to answer, I don't know. The second question is, should we be seeking more spiritual gifts in our lives, apart from the question of Bethel Church? And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, Yeah, earnestly desire, seek earnestly, strive for spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So uh, the Greek word means to seek after earnestly, to seek after uh, diligently. And so I think that we're in the same spiritual period of history as uh, the first century Christians, and uh, what was true of them should be true of us, and we should follow that example and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. That means seeking the Lord for them and trying to find opportunities to use them.
0: So with that, I kind of want to... Pose a question that a lot of cessationists, I think, would pose to a continuationist, or this is a, a problem. I suppose you could say that a lot of cessationists say is wrong with continuationism, is that they would say if if somebody claims that they are a prophet, that that means they are saying, "Thus saith the Lord," "Thus saith the Lord," so on and so forth, whatever comes next, and that if somebody does have the gift of prophecy. That you should be able to write whatever they say in the back of the, in the back of your Bible. I'm sure you've heard this a thousand times. So, what would you say to something like that? Somebody that claims that there is no prophecy today because you cannot because the canon is closed and you cannot write these words in the back of your Bible. That somebody who claims they have the gift of prophecy is saying.
1: Yes, that's a case of accusing your opponent of some position that he does not hold. Um, no responsible charismatic leader known to me says that the words of prophecy today are equal to the words of scripture. So it's not good argument to argue against someone on the position on the basis of a position that that person doesn't hold. That's that's incorrect argument. Now the question is, how can it be from God if it's not exact words of God? Well, the uh, cessationists believe in God's providence. Don't they believe that God directs all of our thoughts, all of our days, for all of us? Um, So can God bring something to mind that um, is not to be taken as his authoritative word in scripture? Yes, I believe so. I have written about this in a book called The Gift of Prophecy in the New Testament today, and I've summarized it in my book, Systematic Theology, uh, now in a second edition. So uh, let me give you an example. There was a visiting uh, Bible teacher or pastor from out of town who I had lunch with one day, and he had a reputation for having a prophetic gift. And during the conversation at lunch, he said to me, do you know someone named Philip? And I thought immediately of someone named, he didn't want you to call him Phil, he wanted you to call him Philip. And uh, he'd been a friend who had moved to another state. And this pastor said, do you know someone named Philip? And I said, yes. And he said, someone who you used to be in good in regular contact with, but you haven't been in contact with him recently? And I said, yes, because he'd moved to another state, he'd moved to Florida. And um and this pastor said, um, I think it'd be a good idea if you'd call him and there might be some benefit in that. So I didn't know what to think. I went home that afternoon, Sunday afternoon, and called Philip in Florida and I said, Philip, is everything okay between us? And he said, Well, as a matter of fact, I've been thinking of calling you because a couple of things you said to me before I left for Florida really hurt me and it's been troubling me ever since. Hmm. I needed to get in touch with you. Well, no, I think the Lord was in that. and He brought some reconciliation. I had to apologize for it and say, yeah, that isn't what I meant. I didn't mean to be critical of you in that way. But I'm not going to write down in the back of my Bible, call Philip. Mm-hmm. I mean, that'd be foolishness. It's, it's not revelation given for all of God's people, for all of history, for all time. It's just specific bringing, God bringing to mind a situation that was uh, in need of healing. And uh, I think it happens during the life of a Christian, off and on from time to time, that God will bring something to mind, that he wants us to make a phone call, make a visit to someone, uh, accept a ministry responsibility in the church. And we think it's from God, it's God leading us. And that's in the same category as God bringing things to mind that we speak in prophecy. It's not as, un, it's not as different from ordinary experience, ordinary Christian experience as everybody thinks. Right. Mm-hmm. It's on the outside of it. And there are some people who are more gifted in this area than others. And I've known in, among Christian friends and among people we've been in small groups with, uh, the Lord seems to give those revelations or impressions of things to people, uh, sometimes to some people more than others.
3: Just to follow up a little bit on that, you know, if if depending on what seminary you go to, whatever, um, if you go to a cessationist one, they would teach that there was no use of the miraculous gifts until about the 1900s. Um, So, you know, with that in mind, doesn't church history support sensationism?
1: No, no, it doesn't. Um, There's this huge two-volume work called Miracles, the Credibility of the New Testament Accounts by Craig Keener. Craig Keener is a professor at Asbury Seminary in Kentucky, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: K-E-E-N-E-R. It's got hundreds of pages of documentation of miracles through history and throughout the world today. But it deals with historical matters and cessationists who believe that miraculous gifts don't continue today need to really answer those examples that Craig Keener has brought forth. On the other hand, we have to realize that there have been periods of um, spiritual barrenness and deadness, or if not deadness, at least a lack of weakness in, in true biblical teaching before the reformation. The Catholic Church was uh, in many ways corrupt and uh, had abandoned its spiritual heritage. And in times like that, we don't expect the occurrence of miracles to be very frequent because Hmm. God was not pleased with his church leading people astray from many of the truths of the word of God, even withholding the word of God from being translated into the languages that people spoke. So the church has gone through difficult times when spiritual gifts of all kinds were in uh, decline, uh, but that doesn't mean they were not existent.
0: So I haven't read Dr. Keener's book, which I I respect Dr. Keener very much. But so is is it not true that most of, from what I've heard, and this is from what I've understood, that most of the early church leaders like Augustine and those type of people, they said that the spiritual gifts have ceased and then I don't think so. okay
1: the fact is that oh well, there's something in john calvin in, in first corinthians his commentary on thir, first corinthians 13 i believe it is where he says today we see it's in my book on prophecy today we see our own poverty uh, but in these areas but it's it's because of our lack of spiritual maturity or depth uh, because of our disobedience or something something to that effect gotcha the question is, what does the Bible teach?
0: Right.
2: There
3: you go. Yeah. yeah.
2: Okay, Dr. Grudem. Um, so now we want to ask, is is this a primary issue? Can continuationists and cessationists uh, fellowship successfully in a church?
1: Yes, I think so. Um, it gets back to Nick's question, are we missing something? Uh, yes, I think when these gifts are not functioning regularly in a church, uh, the church is not at the level of strength and ministry uh, fruitfulness that it could be. But some churches are very strong in Bible teaching. Some churches are strong in worship. Some churches are strong in evangelism and outreach. Some churches are strong in miraculous gifts. And we could wish that every church would be strong in every area. Some churches are strong in care for the poor. Some churches are strong in um, ministering to their neighbors. Uh, Some churches are strong in interpersonal fellowship. Uh, there are all sorts of measures of strength or health of a church uh, and we can always be open to growing in areas where we're currently weak. But um, I'm a a continuationist, I'm functioning in a church that does not practice miraculous gifts outwardly, Uh, but yesterday my wife and I and a friend laid hands on and prayed for uh, a man who, uh, a doctor actually, whose vision was failing prayed for the Lord to right there in the church worship center between services, prayed for healing for a man, a friend whose vision was failing. And, uh, there wasn't a, nobody thought anything strange about that. So there's prayer for healing, but I don't think there's as great an expectation in churches that don't see these things as often as, as often as churches where there, there's a greater expectation that it will happen. They have senses of God leading them to do something, but don't, give as much weight to it as as in other churches.
0: Right. And in that sense, they could be missing out on a bit. Of of course, it's not a primary issue that should necessarily be dividing people, but there is something to say that they could be missing out on the full strength of the church if they're not practicing these spiritual gifts.
1: I have to say that because of the teaching of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And we've been in a church where it was more commonly where these things were more commonly practiced. And we did see more frequent, very rapid, immediate answers to prayer for emotional or physical healing. So that can vary from church to church.
3: Well, we appreciate you taking the time to answer these questions. You definitely have clarified a lot of good things for us.
0: Yeah, Dr. Grudem, it is a huge honor to have you on the show again. I mean, you are just, just an incredible man, an incredible thinker, you wrote one of the best systematic theology books that's out there. And uh, we're just so lucky
1: to have you on. Thank you so much. Good to talk with you guys.
3: Yeah, it's it's been a pleasure, honestly, an honor. Like Ryan says, I echo that. Thank you for taking the time to be on Bible
1: Dingers. I hope you're on again sometime. Thank you. And we, we don't have another scheduled appointment, do we?
3: Not yet. Unless. <laughs> okay. Unless. <no. laughs> yeah.
1: Good to talk to you guys. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr.
1: Okay, bye, bye.